Good evening. So over the last few mornings, um, we've kind of been touching on this question, what is our why? What is our why? And um, as I was on sabbatical, I was um, praying, which you'll be pleased to hear that I did on sabbatical. Um, and I was scribbling some thoughts and reading some of the Bible, and we were reflecting and chatting, and, and I kind of got this question, it just popped into my head, you know, what is our why? You know, what is Nicola and I's why? You know, why are we doing what we're doing? You know, it's quite, I think that's quite a common question for people who have gone on sabbatical. Why are we doing what we're doing? But then why do we do what we do as a church, this church, Life Vineyard Church? What is the why of the, of the kingdom? What is Jesus's why? And as I prayed, and as I scribbled, and as I journaled, I wrote a very simple answer to that question, why? And it was just this, people are our why. People are our why. There's some mirrors on either side on the front. Can you just make sure everybody's kind of got a mirror? Okay. Are you ready? What I would like you to do is I would like you to hold it up and look at your reflection. Look at your face in the mirror. Take a good look. Keep looking. Don't look away. Straighten your hair if you want, Beverly. That's fine, you know. Um, <laughs> and um, so look, just keep looking. You, that reflection, you are the why of Jesus. You are the why this church exists, why God told us to plant it. You are the why of Jesus and his kingdom. You are the why. Okay, just pop the mirror down and come, we'll come back to that later. But turn to the person next to you or near you and just say, you are the why. <laughs> Look at this picture. Hopefully there should be a picture coming up. This is the northeast of England. Two million people, roughly speaking, maybe 2.2. They're all the why. They're all the why. They're all the why of the kingdom. They're all the why of Jesus. Do you know, whether that is, although that two million people, they reckon, don't they, for every person, to me, you, we kind of have contact with around 600 people. That's what the scientists say, the researchers. We all kind of know whether that's neighbors or people that we meet at school gates or just acquaintances, that we have a connection with maybe around 600 people. So just think about that picture. Do you think about some of those represent your friends and your family? Some of them represent your neighbors and your work colleagues. You know, some of them represent those people who live on kind of your street and those that you know really well and those that you say hello to twice a year. They represent the people on Northumberland Street, the people in South Shields that we're going to give chocolate to. They're all represented on here, and they are the why of the gospel. I could go on. I could go to the UK, the world, the universe, um, but I won't. I'll stop at the northeast because that's the part of the world the Lord has planted us in and he wants us to reach out to. Jesus came out of the wilderness after 40 days and he went into the synagogue. He picked up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he read the following. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim a year of the Lord's favor. See, Jesus knew the why. He knew why he was there. He knew what he'd been sent for. And he was anointed. He was anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. And, of course, that's the poor who were financially poor, but it was the poor who were relationally poor or emotionally poor or physically poor or spiritually poor or all of them or a mix of them. He was sent, anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news to you, good news to me. He was anointed to bring freedom to the captives. Okay, so Jesus hadn't been anointed to kind of go and open all the prison doors and let all the prisoners out. That's not what this is getting at here. No, he was anointed to set the captives free. Those that have believed lies, that are living in pain and brokenness, that are living in captivity, maybe even demonic strongholds in their life, he was sent, anointed to set the captives free to break them free of all of that stuff. He came to set two million plus people free in the northeast of England. He came to bring the year of the Jubilee. He came to bring a year of the Lord's favor. He came to bring freedom. He was anointed to bring recovery of sight to the blind. Again, he's, he's not just talking here about the physically blind, although there's some amazing stories in the, in the scriptures of people getting their sight back. And um, I'll tell you one quick story. We were at our old building back in the center of Newcastle many years ago now. And um, this lady came in, and she was sat in the congregation worshiping. And um, she, she was looking up, and she, she was confused. Because all of a sudden, she was looking at the, the monitor, and she... It was all blurred. And she thought, oh, I must have forgotten my glasses. And then she realized she was wearing her glasses. And when she took her glasses off, she could see it clearly. And in the middle of worship, she'd been healed. Incredible. He came to bring sight to the physically blind, but also the spiritually blind. You know, those that just cannot see. They can't see the truth. They can't see the kingdom. Well, Jesus came. He was anointed to open the eyes of the spiritually blind. Amazing. To show his love, his grace, his mercy. So people can see. You know, that people are, are blinkered to the wonder and the majesty of Jesus. He came to open up their eyes. Amazing. And he came to set the oppressed free. See, Jesus didn't just come to bring inward freedom. You know, a very, you know, us, just for me or for you. Or He came to bring institutionalized injustice to an end. He came to, to, to end all injustice. And he might need to bring it all to an end when he comes back a second time. But he is at work in the world defeating injustice. It is amazing. What, an, what a manifesto. It's the why of the kingdom. It's the why of Jesus. People are his why. The whole person. I was listening to a fantastic Bethel album um, on and off over the last few months. And one song especially impacted me as I 
just was thinking about this whole idea of, being, of people being the why, and it's called You Don't Miss a Thing. And I'm not going to sing it, because this room would empty very quickly, and the live stream would just end, and nobody would ever come back. Um, so, this is, I'm going to read it. What? No. I don't even know how it goes. What a mystery. No, I'm not going to say. What a, <laughs> what a mystery that you notice me. And in a crowd of 10,000, you don't miss a thing because you see everything. I am seen and I am known by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's no place I can go. Your love won't find me. No place I can hide that you don't see. No place I can fall. Your love couldn't catch me. You see it all. You see it all. And this is the line that got me when I was listening to it. Through the eyes of love. All of it through the eyes of love. Just let that sink in. Jesus sees you. He sees you. He sees me. Not just a little bit of you. He sees everything. Every part of you. But the lenses he's always looking through. He's always looking through the lens of love. That's the only lens he ever wears. It's a lens of love. You see, he's not an angry God or a judgmental God or a distant, picky God. You know, he's not there tutting. Oh, he's not very good today, is he? He's not doing that. He's not shaking his head in disbelief. It couldn't be further from the truth. He sees it all. It all through the eyes of love. He sees our successes and our failures. He sees our sin and our holiness, our actions and our thoughts. He sees it all. Nothing is hidden. And it's all through the eyes of love. Amazing. For some of you this evening, this first line, I think Jesus wants to burn it on your hearts and into your minds. You are seen by him. You are seen. You are seen. You are known. Just let that sink in. You are seen and you are known by God. By the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords through the eyes of love. See, Jesus, Jesus is why are people. Jesus died for people. Jesus had a vision for people. And so must we. Jesus' invitation for each of us is to realize and encounter that this vision for people is a vision for us. It's a vision for us, for you and for I, for our life. It's a vision for our family, whether that be our actual family or our, our family as a church. It's a vision for us. Jesus has a vision. All of these wonderful truths he has for us, a vision for us, and it's a vision for our region and beyond. Genesis 5, 1-2 says this. When God created human beings, he made them 
to be like himself. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and called them human. That's the NLT version. You know, here's a question for you. How much are you worth? How much are you worth? Not your bank account. Um, How valuable are you? How valuable are you? I can hear music. Um, Just think about that. I don't know if you've ever been to a humanist funeral. Um, I think we had to go to one because it was friend of somebody. And it's a really strange experience. In a nutshell, humanists believe that human beings are kind of just dust. They come from dust and then they return to dust. Um, Really, our life is just a fleeting mix of collection of chemical reactions and then we just end. And this is one of the poems that I was having a look around of like, wonder what they do. You know, do you ever think, wonder what they say at funerals that are humanist, where there's no God? So anyway, this is one of the poems they do. Farewell, sweet dust. Now I have lost you, I must scatter. All of you on the air henceforth. Not that to me it can ever matter, but it's only fair to the rest of the earth. I read that. I thought, wow, to devalue being human in this way, to a fleeting life and a return to dust, is to completely lose the potential and significance of humanity, of God's creation. You can find all sorts. I got a little bit kind of obsessed with reading all the different poems. Um, But I found this one. This one surprised me. When I come to the end of the road... And the sun has set for me. I want no rights in a gloom-filled room. Why cry for a soul set free? I was like, what a strange thing for a humanist to say. You know, even in the midst of it all, they can't escape. That human beings are greater than just this stuff. We have a value, an intrinsic value beyond just what we're made of. We were created for all eternity to be with God. And we know, don't we, that death is not the end. It's not the end. It's a doorway into eternity with Jesus and his perfect future. You know, when we look at the problems all around the world and and in society, at the root of it all is our understanding, or should I say our misunderstanding, of the intrinsic value of human life of human beings. See, human beings left to their own devices love to give value and take value. They see some as really valuable and others as less valuable or even expendable. You know, when human beings are left to their own devices, um, they just kind of mess it all up or they remove all value and we come but dust. But God says, no. No, You are of infinite value. You are infinitely valuable. You are priceless. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, you're valuable, infinitely 
priceless value. I think all the isms, you know, racism, sexism, they're kind of all rooted and caused by humans apportioning greater value to one group of people than to another. When you really think about it. Without values of heaven, human beings are incapable of placing the true value on all humans. Psalm 139, my favorite psalm. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He speaks that over all of us. The Bible shows us The Bible shows us that to the Father, to Jesus, we are priceless. Priceless. Have you ever thought of yourself as priceless? We are fearfully and wonderfully made by God's own hands. See, people are Jesus' why. Because in his mind, there are nothing more valuable than you. And you, and you, and you. Nothing more valuable. We are all made in the image of God. And we are wonderfully made. Priceless works of art. Jesus stopped time and time again. He was filled with compassion time and time again. He chose to die. Why? Because Jesus looks at every one of us. He sees you and he sees me. And he sees the most precious of all things, a human being. You see, the starting point for our vision for people is to grasp the priceless nature of every single person, including ourselves. You see, we are to build a vision for people that are with an understanding of the priceless nature of the people we have a vision for. But we also have to understand that that vision is for us. It's for us. You are priceless. You are a son or a daughter. You are a child of God. Just, just go with me for a second. I was musing on my journaling on when I was away. Can you imagine what life would be like if we truly believed this? If we lived under this truth that we are priceless works of ours. Just imagine that. Imagine what it would be like if our whole church family believed that about themselves and about each other. Just imagine that. Mess with my head. Imagine the whole north of east of England who believe that about themselves and about each other. Can you imagine living in, well, it would be heaven, wouldn't it, I suppose, but, you know, it would be incredible. But we've got to start somewhere, so we might as well start with ourselves. You know, if we lived with the understanding that we are priceless, we wouldn't need to worry about our successes. 
or our failures. We wouldn't need to worry about our wealth or our lack of it. We wouldn't need to worry about our property. Do we own a house or, or do we not? We wouldn't need to worry about whether we've got degrees or whether we struggled at school. None of it would matter because it can't add or detract from our value because we're priceless no matter what. <laughs> they say the kingdom of God is radical. This is pretty radical in a world that loves to put value on everything. Just pick up this mirror again. When you look in it, don't do the whole bendy thing, because then you look like you're in one of those strange fair things. Um, and when you look at it, oh, I wish I'd not said that now. It's like when you say that to the kids and they do the exact thing you don't want them to do. And um, when you look at it, I want you to look at it and say, I am priceless. Turn to the person next to you and tell them they're priceless. Let's stick that picture up on the wall, on the on the screen again. Where's that, that map? Tell tell the northeast of England they're priceless. Okay, let's now be honest. Now we're going to be honest and we're going to be brave. When I, um, Sam and Ellie, couple in our church, got married in the summer, and um, I was getting all smartened up, and I managed to take a chunk out of my face, shaven. I was like, man, I've been honest, I've forgotten how to shave. And um, every time I looked in the mirror, guess where my eyes went? Straight to where I'd cut myself. Being a nerd, I've worked out with probably a one thousandth of my, the surface area of my face. And, and yet, I went straight to it. The one blemish. No, no, I wish it was the one blemish. But, you know, the, the one thing that was stood out. And, you know, when we look in our mirror and we say we're priceless, let's be honest. Do we really believe that? Or do we look at our reflection and say, I'm not really priceless. I know what I did yesterday, or I know what that person said about me, or I know what I think about myself deep down, really. So we're going to be honest, and we're going to be brave. Just between us and Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to share. This is literally between you and Jesus. Because I think there's some lies that we are believing. Some stuff that people have spoken over us that are just untrue. And it, guys, if we can, a couple of people can just hand out the tracing paper and the pencils. That would be really helpful. So what I want you to do is I want you to get a piece of tracing paper, turn your, turn your mirror around so it's on the kind of um, dodgy looking side, otherwise you'll damage the front of it. Um, and I want you to write down those thoughts that popped into your head. I want you to write down those lies that maybe people have spoken over you that, that kind of rob you of some of that priceless value that Jesus has placed upon you. 
It could be simple little things. It might seem insignificant. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit just to speak to you. And it might be stuff the enemy has spoken in, whispered in, that you've taken on board and you've believed and you've been living under the shadow of or the power of a lie that is robbing you of your identity, that is robbing you of your value. So jot it down. Just, just jot them all down. And then we're going to do something with it in a minute. We um, had this incredible time of ministry over our sabbatical, 15 hours of prayer ministry with um, something called Restoring the Foundations. And they took us through some lies that we believe in. And we just said no. And we told them to go from our lives. We're not going to live under those lies or those mistruths. And so in a moment, what we're going to do is we're going to take this piece of paper, whatever you've written on it, and this is why I want you to be brave, and we're going to go and take communion, and we're going to put it in the shredder. Because you see, what happens is, it's like putting the tracing paper over the mirror. You can't see your reflection. It distorts who God says you are. It distorts the priceless perfection of creation that we are. And unless we deal with the stuff that robs us of that image, that identity, that value, we can't hope to live in the freedom. And we can't hope to love people in the way that Jesus wants us to love love them. So just have a thing. Holy Spirit, just come. Just reveal. For some of you, it's going to be really quite painful. And I get that. So this is where it requires a bit to be brave. To be brave. Because what I believe is going to happen is as we shred it, we're going to say a little prayer. We're going to ask Jesus to come into our lives as we take communion. And whatever lies we've believed, we're going to command them to go. And then we're going to put it through the shredder. And that's going to be a symbol of what the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives. And it sounds super simple. But it really is that simple. We break the ties of the lies. And we accept the truth into our lives.